I like our decorations. Somebody said that this church decorates more than any other church they've ever experienced. And I particularly want to thank Jordy and Debbie Brown for decoration and all the crew that did that. You got... You have to be particularly courageous to put a Christmas tree up 12 feet, 12 foot tall Christmas tree on a ledge above the sanctuary in this place, but somebody did that. And so I hope you enjoy it and I hope it puts you in that Christmas mood. We are in a series called Questions to Improve Your Christmas because we want to help you improve your Christmas. Now, most of us probably would prefer a Norman Rockwell Christmas, would we not? But if we were truly honest, it might be more like the National Lampoon Chevy Chase Christmas. (laughs) That is reality. And so somewhere there is a tension between what is real and what is ideal, and we all go into Christmas with a little bit different experience and perspective. I particularly love buying for children and grandchildren at Christmas. And our granddaughter said, Grandpa, have you seen my Amazon gift list yet? (laughs) Proceeded to get my phone out and check it out and say, ooh, non, that's pretty expensive. Hmm." And go overboard, don't we? I like the letters to Santa. Dear Santa, this is one letter that a child wrote. There are three boys in our home. Jeffrey is two, David is four, and Norman is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. And then there's this other letter to Santa that I particularly love from Alfred. It says, Dear Santa, I didn't like anything I got last year. You didn't do a very good job the year before. This is your last chance. (laughs) Signed, Alfred. Poor Santa's on the bubble, isn't he? Didn't know Santa could lose his job. Last week, John preached about the Magnificat and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if you remember when he preached, he said, no matter what, this Christmas, it's all about Jesus. Or, in a shorter form, no matter what, Jesus. And this week, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 1. And we're looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And if you remember, Zechariah was a priest, and his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity was to go and serve in the temple. And when he went into the temple, he met Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, who prophesied or told Zechariah that his chronologically challenged woman of a certain age, the most important woman in his life, Elizabeth, was going to have a child. And Zechariah didn't believe it. And he said, how could this happen? And it was a statement of unbelief. Now, 
If you are of a certain age and you're married to a person of a certain age and somebody told you you were going to have a child, you would not be going, woohoo. <laughs> you would be saying, how could this be? So before we judge poor Zachariah, we've got to recognize that he might have been thinking, oh, people don't have babies. Maybe you even make a reach, maybe old people don't want to have more babies. That might be a stretch. We might love our grandbabies. But in discipline, and as a reminder to have faith, what did Gabriel do? He put Zechariah on mute like your remote control until that baby was born. And that was an opportunity for Zechariah to reflect and to remember the works of God. And God has a plan, He has a purpose, and there's a timeliness of what God allows in our lives. As a reminder, for this Christmas season, that Jesus came to rescue us. The Christmas mission and his purpose is to rescue us. And if you're joining us online or if you're in person today, we're super glad that you're here. But we would invite you to join us in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 73. So here was this muted guy. You couldn't speak a word until he said, his name will be John and not Zechariah. This is how he responds in faith. And as you look at this passage, I want you to realize that this was the last prophecy in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament, that Zechariah makes. And here's what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us. Now, some of us don't think we need to be rescued. And there are people around us that we love, our friends and our neighbors, and maybe some of our family who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, who really don't understand the true meaning of Christmas and how he has saved us and how he has rescued us. But he has. Because we live in sinful flesh. Do we not? We all have a sin tendency in our lives that Jesus came to rescue us. And no matter how good we think we are, we're not that good. In fact, God tells us, Jesus tells us that our good works are as filthy rags before the Lord. And so Jesus comes to rescue us from the entrapments and the sins and, and the despair that is so much of our lives. My question this morning is, do you feel trapped? 
Do you feel trapped in your life? Do you feel trapped in your marriage? Do you feel trapped in relationships? Do you feel trapped in your career or your work or your vocation? Do you just feel trapped in your sin? And every time you partake of communion, you're reminded of how trapped you are. And you've got to understand that Jesus came to rescue us, to release us from those traps. Jesus came to rescue us from the big and little traps of life and, and ultimately from the greatest trap of all, death itself. See, if we have faith and not fear, we realize that the frailty of life, there's an answer, there's a redeemer, there's a deliverer named Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We have been broke free. The chains have dropped from sin and slavery. We have power over sin in Christ. He came to rescue us, to redeem us. Jesus was born in the humblest of conditions. And Jesus was opposed from his earliest days. Folks, we're going to have trouble in this life. Jesus says the trouble will come. But don't fear, I have overcome that trouble. I have overcome the world. And even in his birth, even in his birth, there was a cosmic war going on. Look at Re- Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. How would you feel, ladies, if you knew that there was someone that opposed the birth of your child and was wanting to kill it? She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. But God had a plan. All cosmic war began at Jesus' birth. Evil versus good played out forever since. Because you've got to understand, the reason why Jesus' birth was so important was that the blood of bulls and goats to be offered for people's sin would never satisfy a holy God. Justice would not be done. But in that moment, that was the beginning of the end of Satan's rule in our lives. He came to save us. And like I said, all cosmic war began at Jesus' birth. So if you're following along, this is your opportunity to fill that blank in. Because he challenges us to have faith and not fear in our lives. 
There have been times in our leadership where somebody says, well, I don't think you're taking this too seriously, Chris. And don't mistake cool and calm with a lack of seriousness because our faith can be solid as we sang with Dan this morning. It can be solid because we put our faith and trust in a sovereign God who is in control of every aspect of our lives. And so we have a choice between being faithful and being fearful. And I would prefer to choose to be faithful. And I would challenge you to do the same. So Jesus not only rescues us, but he rescues us into a relationship with him. And folks, don't undervalue that. Realize that that is so important that we have a personal God who loves us, who cares for us, who who knows all the intimate details of our lives. And we don't need to be fearful of that, but we can have hope and know that we have and serve a God who cares so much that He sent His Son for us. So let's continue on in Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75 of Zechariah's song and prophecy. He says here that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness, before Him all of our days. And continuing on in verse, well, there in 75, it says, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Notice here that this connotes a relationship, something personal, that we have a God that cares about our daily events. So when we go to Him in prayer, we go before a Lord that already knows, and He shares, and He validates, and He is concerned and wants to hear from us, just like we want to hear from our children and our grandchildren. We want an intimate relationship with them. We want to know that there's someone who cares for us that is compassionate for us. And when we realize how much God loves us and how much He cares for us, notice in 1 John 4.18, this is what the Apostle John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So we can have a security in the love of God, in the sovereignty of God, in the majesty of God. And the Christmas story reminds us of who we are in relationship to Him and what price He paid that was so personal and so intimate for us. Jesus rescues us into a relationship that unleashes His light and peace into the world. I love Christmas lights. I have been known to sit in a room with a Christmas tree lit up with a cup of coffee and just enjoy that quiet moment. And I'm reminded when I see lights of the darkness that prevailed in the world before Jesus came, that he lit up literally our lives and gives us hope and peace. And notice how Zechariah ends this song in verses 76 through 79 and says this very thing. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now he's referring to his child, John, 
the Baptist who would come, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. In verse 77, he says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, talking about Jesus coming, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that a tremendous prophecy of what God has done and is doing and will do in our lives? That he will light us up and that he will give us peace because we have been saved by grace through faith. And one of the coolest passages, the very last verses of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. These are some of my favorite as a youth pastor. I've always loved these. And it's referring to John. And, and let's look at that. It says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, here Malachi is prophesying four year, 400 years in advance of, the, of, of John the Baptist, who would come, who was likened to Elijah, that was going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and hearts of the children to the fathers. How cool is that? That we have a God that, that what he desires is heartfelt and, and desires that future generations will know him. I was very encouraged this last week. On, I believe it was on Wednesday night, I was talking to one of our members who came from a cult background. And he just, he just expressed a, a huge testimony for the Lord of what salvation by grace through faith and how it's changed his life and how he's sharing that with other people around him and how every day this Christmas experience of this relationship with Jesus is making a difference where he works and in his family and as he mentors other people in faith. Folks, we don't realize what a great salvation we have, how great the Christmas story is in our lives, and what a difference Jesus makes in our lives. We take that for granted so often. That was the uplift of my week. I could live on that for a long time. Can't you? Now, in saying all of this and what I've preached thus far in this message, I hope you're asking this question, well, what actions can I take from what I've learned today? And I'm glad you asked that question. Three things, principally. First, repeat the mighty deeds of God. How has God made a difference in your life? Don't forget to tell that this Christmas season, whether you gather with family or with your coworkers. Repeat the mighty acts of God. This is what God has done in my life. This is the power of God in a personal story. In Revelation 12, it also says that the saints that overcame Satan did two things. It was the testimony, their story of what God has done, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. So repeat the mighty deeds of God this Christmas season. 
Second, reflect on God's plan. That God sent His Son to rescue the whole world. This is not just for you. It's for your neighbors. It's for your family. It's for future generations. It's a global message that we say every Sunday morning, guiding people home, bringing people to the gospel and the saving faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. That they could be rescued into a relationship. That God can light up their world and give them peace in the darkness. Are you just happy that you're saved and that you can be a part of the story and sharing with others about what Jesus has done in your life? He makes all the difference in the world, doesn't he? This morning, this uh, invitation's for you to make Christmas all about Jesus. It's about the opportunities that you're going to have that I just pray that God gives you the courage to speak up and say, here's what Jesus has done. And no matter what, I want to keep my focus on Jesus. Because we're going to be tempted by the trappings of Christmas, aren't we? And that's our challenge. And finally, we can just be happy and have joy that we're a part of the story that God has redeemed us and we can share that with others. So this morning, will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful. So very grateful for, for the Christmas story that it really happened, that you sent your Son to redeem us, to rescue us, to save us, and that we can have a relationship with you that makes our lives worthwhile, that gives us hope, that gives us direction, that changes the course of world history and our destiny and our eternal destination. Father, just now, for those that don't know Jesus, that are who are far away from Him, we just pray that Your Holy Spirit would work and move in such a way that they would hear the greatest story of all. That Jesus loves them, cares for them, wants them to live forever with Him. Father, for those of us that just need to wake up and to realize what a great salvation that we've received, we, we just pray that You would do Your work, that we would go away rejoicing in this Christmas, that we would spread joy like no other that others might know you. And Father, just now, we pray for those that feel very trapped in their lives, that you would give them light and peace and hope because of what Jesus has done. And Father, we pray this all in his name, in Jesus' name.